Hi, welcome to the latest edition of Angles, the Angular Advisors podcast. Today we're going to talk estate planning with Laura Cowan, an estate attorney here in New York. And the big takeaway from this podcast, for me anyway, is that what estate planning is really all about is that while you are fit, while you are conscious, and most importantly, while you're alive, you have the opportunity to mitigate the stress and pain that is going to befall the people you love when you are no longer fit, conscious, or alive. Laura focuses on primarily three things that have absolutely nothing to do with your level of wealth or your age. We discuss preparation for healthcare treatment. Laura comes up with some great points about what to think about when choosing a guardian for your kids. And also digital assets, email, Facebook, online banking. What happens to those after you die? Remember, everyone has an estate plan. It's simply a matter of whether you have one that you have crafted to reflect your wishes and those of your family, or whether you have one that's been crafted by a government agency. So I give you Laura Callan. Hi everyone, this is Simon Brady. Welcome to the latest uh, edition of the Angular Advisors podcast. I have with me today Laura Cowan, who is the founder of her own law firm. The Say it to me, uh, what is it in full? The, the, the Law Office of Laura E. Cowan. The Law Office of Laura E. Cowan. Laura specializes in estate planning and we're going to uh, be discussing that today. Um, good morning, Laura. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming in. Thank you. So, Laura, um, tell me, what, what does your practice look like right now? So, my practice is 100% estate planning. It's the only area of law that I focus on. And um, my main focus is on designing estate plans for people. So, that includes things like wills and trusts and powers of attorney, healthcare directives, um, things like that. And I also do a little bit of probate work, which is the court process that someone goes through um, when someone passes away. Um, I have a very holistic approach to estate planning. Um, it's a very relationship-focused practice. So people should be coming to see you quite a while before they die rather than uh, just as they're uh, in the midst of a family death or something like that. Right, yeah, that's a, re- a really good way of putting it. Um, it's really important to think about these things um, not necessarily when you're 70 and preparing for the, the end of your life, but rather um, something to think about throughout life um, as your family and your circumstances change. A lot of estate planning is relevant during your life and not necessarily just at the moment when you pass away. Right. I, wanna, I definitely want to get into that a little bit later about the timing uh, and when you should really start thinking about having an estate plan, which sort of leads into my next question. Who, um, who needs an estate plan? So that's a great question. Um, everybody needs an estate plan, which is something that's a little bit surprising to a lot of people. I think that there's a, a misconception that only elderly people need to do any estate planning or only 
very wealthy people need to do estate planning, and it's actually um, the exact opposite. Um, young people need an estate plan because they need to they need to have a plan in place for if they become incapacitated. Estate planning deals not only with um, death but also incapacity. So there are decisions that should be made um, in terms of who would take care of your assets and your finances if you became incapacitated and were unable to make decisions on your own. Um, there are healthcare decisions that you would want to give someone the authority to make on your behalf if you couldn't make them yourself. You know, even young people who don't have a lot of assets, the truth of the matter is we all have something and what you have matters to somebody. And if you don't make a decision about who you want to receive your assets for you to pass away, what will happen is the state will make that decision for you. Yeah. So the, the sort of lesson is, even if you think you don't have an estate plan, you actually do, <laughs> and the state's written it for you. That's exactly right. If you, don't have a, if you haven't drafted an estate plan, you have one anyway. It's just that someone else has drafted it for you, and it may be the exact opposite of what you would have wanted. You alluded earlier when you were talking about who needs an estate plan to the traditional view of the typical estate planning client, which is someone who's very wealthy, somebody has a lot of assets. Um, and I want to uh, look a little bit beyond the estate plan that simply takes care of the financial assets, the accounts, the property, and everything else. Because again, as you slightly alluded to before, there are other considerations that are addressed by a good estate plan. Uh, and I wanted to touch on three of them, actually. Um, healthcare treatment considerations. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, incapacitation. Um, what can somebody do, accomplish within an estate plan that would make life more bearable both for them and their loved ones at a time where there is uh, some kind of health crisis? Yeah, so one of the most important documents in an estate plan is called a health care proxy. And it has a different names in different states, but in New York it's called a health care proxy. It names an agent or a, and a backup agent if necessary, which is uh, someone that you have selected to make healthcare decisions on your behalf should you be unable to do so yourself. So this is, you know, the scenario you have a skiing accident, you're unconscious, um, someone needs to be making decisions on your behalf because you can't make them yourself. And if you have a healthcare proxy and you've named someone to make those decisions for you, um, it makes things much easier for your family because if you don't have that kind of a document in place, what will happen is certain people will petition the court to, um, to get that authority to make decisions for you. And that's not only time consuming and expensive, but it's also, uh, it can create potential conflict among your family members because you may have more than one family member petitioning the court to make decisions for you. So you might have your mom petitioning the court to be your healthcare agents and your brother petitioning the court. And if they both want different things for you and your healthcare, whoever the court chooses, there's now gonna be a strained relationship between your mother and your brother. So um, this can all be easily solved by putting together a healthcare proxy and naming the person that you want to make decisions on your behalf if you can't make them yourself. Yeah, we've seen some um, heart-wrenching, high-profile 
cases around that, Terry Schiavo, and there have been plenty of others. Um, so what's the difference between a healthcare proxy and a living will? Yeah, so the, as we just mentioned, the healthcare proxy uh, has one main purpose, and that is to name a person, an agent, to make decisions for you. A living will is the document where you specify what you would want to happen, um, how long you would want to be sort of kept alive and under what circumstances you would want to be kept alive. So um, this is the document where you, the living will is the document where you would say, I don't want to be kept on life support for more than two weeks or 30 days or whatever, you know, one day, whatever uh, period of time you have selected. So the living will does not name anyone to make decisions for you. That's what the healthcare proxy does. And it's probably important to point, <coughs> point out that um, you can change these at any time. Yeah, that's a great point. So these documents are all very easily, um, they're easy, relatively easy to draw up, and they're easy to make changes to. So if you, if you decide that you want to name someone different as your healthcare agent, that's a very easy change, and it can be made at any time. And um, you can make changes to your living will at any time if your thoughts and wishes have changed over time. But they are legally binding to the authorities and the doctors uh, upon your incapacity. That's right. Let's talk about guardianship a little bit. Um, often, the first time people really start to think about uh, having an estate plan is after they have children. Um, not always. Some, some of them leave it a long, long, much longer time than the uh, birth of their children. However, um, it can be a, a catalyst for um, getting an estate plan put in place. So. Um, what should people think about when they're naming guardians and what does the process look like as and when those children um, turn 18 or 21, I guess, depending on the state, when they reach the age of majority? So what, what should somebody think about when appointing a guardian and uh, how does that sort of guardianship roll off? Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> As surprising as it sounds, um, only 39% of parents have actually named guardians for their children, um, which is a really low percentage, and the rest haven't. I always talk to my clients um, about the, the, the six or seven things that you really should consider. Um, first of all, you should consider, well, you should name not just long-term guardians, but also short-term guardians, which would be the people who um, would, would care for your children in the event of an accident and you, know, you and your spouse didn't come home, um, there would be a brief period of, period of time where... Um, so literally the day of. Really the, the day of, which would, you know, it might take your sister in California a couple of days to get out here if something terrible happens. Um, and if the police don't have the legal authority to give your children to anyone during those couple of days, they have no choice but to take your children and put them in... Um, in child protective services for that short amount of time, which it's not a long time, but it's every parent's worst nightmare. I don't think that any parent would want their kids to, to have to go through that. So um, naming a short-term guardian, you know, a neighbor, someone who lives nearby, someone who's in your apartment building that you, your children know and you know would comfort and care for your kids in the short term while people were figuring things out in terms of who was the long-term guardian. 
Um, people should think about when naming guardians, if you're naming a couple, you should think about what would happen if one person, that couple, was no longer alive or if there was a divorce. So let's say you're naming your sister and her husband. You should think about that next step of, well, what if my sister and her husband you know, get a divorce? Would I still want my sister being guardian of my children? Or would I prefer that she, you know, would I think maybe that's too much of a burden if she's not married? Or, you know, what if... I've named my sister and her husband, but my sister predeceases me. Do I want her husband being the guardian of my children without my sister? Um, another thing that people don't realize is that you don't have to name the same person to take care of your kids on a day-to-day -day basis. It does not have to be the same person who manages the finances for your children. So you can have one person who's, who you name you know, to care for your children on a day-to-day -day basis and someone else to uh, someone else to manage the money that you've left for them. So those those two roles can be separated. They don't have to be separated, but they can be. So those are some of the things that people should think about, and um, it's it's important to get those if you if if you're a parent and you have minor children. The one estate planning document that you really need is a will because it's the will where you name your guardians for your kids. So if you have children, you need to have a will at a minimum. And you should have, if you are, for instance, in your example, using your sister, there's a long conversation to be had between you and your sister um, before you name them as guardian, right? Exactly. So you can get as detailed and specific as you want, and it would make sense to do that, to, to you know, really think about what schools would I want my children to go to, what morals about money would I want them to learn, what religion would I want them to be raised under. Um, you can be really, really specific about those things. So the person who takes care of your children that you've named um, has very clear instructions about exactly how you would want um, you would want your child raised. I think um, you know estate planning is something that people think relates only to death um, but it, but in many ways as you're going through the process of thinking about these things it actually improves your life in many ways because it gives you clarity and it gives you peace of mind that you've thought about all the things that you should think about if something were to go wrong and, um, it, and it sounds ironic, but it actually improves your life in a way. I get that. Yeah. And, and just to come back to this issue of turning 18. So if you're a minor, you're under the age of 18, you're not able to take possession of assets, money, accounts, and everything else. Um, what happens when you wake up on your 18th birthday and uh, there have been these assets that may have been left to you by a parent who's since passed away. Um, what is the morning of that, uh, that kid's 18th birthday? What could the morning of that kid's 18th birthday look like? Well, what could happen is what most parents would not want to happen, which is that your 18-year-old would receive everything that you had left to them outright. And what outright means is they could basically get a big check. Without they, any restriction with, or... Exactly without any restrictions whatsoever. So this means that they can spend the money, they can gamble the money away, they could lose the money, they could um, spend it on things that you wouldn't necessarily want them spending it on, like a fancy car or something like that. Um, there are just no restrictions whatsoever. And I'm sorry to interrupt, but th th this is the case 
with intestacy, right? So if, if you do die without a will um, and money is left to the children uh, through an intestacy proceeding, uh, this, is, this is the circumstance we're talking about. Yes, this is exactly what would happen. So this is another reason why it makes sense just to do very basic planning because if you were to pass away and not have any planning in place, your minor or minors when they turned 18 would simply receive everything outright. And that's something that most parents don't want. Yes, I do remember being 18. I can't imagine what I would have done with this thing of money on my 18th birthday and I would regret that right yes. now, I'm sure. So, you spoke earlier about um, older people being, again, the traditional recipients of an estate plan. Um, now, if you're 24 years old, 25 years old, um, and you have a good career and you have good health, um, and something were to happen to you, We've already discussed, so you don't really, you, you may not have a guardianship concern. You may not even have uh, a concern about uh, having a significant amount of assets and if it goes to your brother or your mom, or you, you may not even be concerned about that. Um, however, in this day and age, there are other concerns that this type of uh, person might have, um, and that revolves around digital assets. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about that? So, we, you know, by digital assets, we're talking about Facebook, we're talking about email, we're talking about Instagram, we're talking about all these. They're, they're actually assets. Um, what happens if somebody, and you know, I'm not saying you have to be under 25 to have a Facebook account, but what happens to digital assets um, upon the death, upon someone's death? Yeah, so um, like you said, digital assets include you know, Facebook, Instagram, things like that, but they also include um, people's financial records, um, just basically anything that you have online that you have a password for. Um, and you know, really steps must be put in place to, so people can access these assets um, if you're no longer able to. And, and the right person to and the, the right person you person. want. Yes, that's a very good point, yes. And uh, because technology changes so quickly, there's a need to continually sort of monitor and potentially update your estate plan so that, first of all, people have access to your digital assets, but also, like you said, it's, it's the right people. Um, so, for example, uh, someone going through a surgery, they may not be able to handle their financial affairs for several months. Uh, so, you know, this is a case where you would want someone to have access to your digital banking records, for example. Um, and if you don't take care of this in advance, it really means that your friends and your family are going to be scrambling last minute to try to get not only passwords to everything, but the actual legal authority to access things. Just because you have a password to someone's account doesn't mean that you have the legal authority to go in there. That's a very good point. Right, so it's, it has to be drafted into the will. There's actually a place in wills now where you mention digital assets and who you give the legal authority um, to access those assets. So, um, you know, many people think that they can simply leave a list of usernames and passwords for their executor, which is the person who they've named to take care of their estate, and they don't realize that the executor will actually be committing a crime by accessing these accounts later on. 
So it's, uh, it's very important for a will and a power of attorney, which is a document that you, you name someone to make financial decisions on your behalf. Um, it's very important for these two documents to authorize your executor to actually access your digital accounts. Um, that's really important, and for many people, this is not your parents necessarily. You, maybe you don't want your parents poking having around access. around in your emails and uh, yeah. exactly like you, you know many people don't want their parents poking around on their Facebook page. Um, they'd rather have a sibling or a friend have that authority. So it's uh, it's important to think about. Okay, well it sounds to me like that that of itself alone is possibly a reason for somebody of that generation to consider having uh, consider having a will, even leaving everything else aside. What I like to do on these podcasts is uh, throw something of a curveball at the, uh, at the um, guest. So uh, full disclosure, you know, Laura and I had a rough idea what we'd be talking about before we came in here. Uh, what she doesn't know is, is the only thing she doesn't know is the next question I'm going to ask her. So putting on my devil's advocate hat, uh, I'm looking at a website here called LegalZoom. And says here, I can get myself a will for, well, I can get an estate plan bundle for $149 with power of attorney, living will. I got my one year of attorney advice. I can get myself a personalized will for 69 bucks. Why, why am I going to pay you when I can just go on here and set one up online? Um, one thing that I will say is the, the likelihood of filling out the forms correctly and really understanding all of the nuances and things that could potentially go wrong um, is, is very difficult for someone who doesn't have a background in, in this kind of thing. Um, you know, lawyers who, who draft estate plans have gone through three years of law school, they've passed a bar exam, they've practiced for several years. That's what we have to do to understand estate planning and the best way to do it and the best all of the things that can go wrong with a will and a trust and, and beneficiary designations and doing things incorrectly so um, the you know the odds of it being done properly on an online site or it being done um, in, in a way that makes sense for your family are actually very low um, you're getting false security from a site like that because you think that you've done everything that you need to do but it's very likely that you've left something out, that there's something that you haven't considered, that you filled out a form in a way that wasn't quite right. Um, and then what will end up happening is your family will end up spending a lot more money just to have a lawyer fix everything. It just ends up costing a lot more money to, to fix everything. I think I read somewhere, it might have been on LegalZoom itself, that 80% uh, of the people who fill out their estate planning forms fill them out incorrectly. Um, the other thing I will say is that there's a lot of advice that comes into estate planning, legal advice that is not something you're going to get from an online cookie cutter document. I don't think I've ever had a meeting with a client where I haven't said something along, I haven't pointed something out to them or made them aware of something where they haven't said, wow, I really didn't know that, or I'm glad you told me that, or oh, I didn't realize that's how things would shake out. I can, I can actually give you a couple of examples of that when I've sat in on... Um, meetings with estate attorneys and clients, and you mentioned one earlier, the short-term guardians, no one thinks of that. Right. They might think of long-term guardians, and they came to the meeting prepared, 
to tell the estate planning attorney who the long-term guardians were, and then this whole subject of short-term guardianship came up. So that's that's an example, and I think maybe what we touched on earlier about digital assets is another thing that people might not consider. So. Right, right, and it's it's understandable that they don't understand everything. You know, um, this stuff can get very complicated very quickly. Um, so, it, but it's really it's not something um, that you want to leave to, to, to chance. And you know, I think my clients are actually very relieved when I point out to them something that they hadn't thought of that actually changes the way that they're thinking about their planning drastically. And if they had just filled out the forms online, they would have gotten a plan that didn't work for them and actually wasn't what they even wanted. So, Laura, um, so if somebody has maybe not just as a result of listening to this podcast, but if somebody has decided they want to do something about their estate, um, what would be the process? What would be the next step? So they sat down maybe as a couple, said, look, honey, we need an estate plan. Uh, what should they do next? What does the process look like to, uh, to them? Yeah, so in my office, uh, one of the, the things we love for people to do is, is come in for one of our free talks or webinars and we hold these several times a month and they're free and they're at my office in near Columbus Circle and this is a value-packed hour full of all sorts of information about estate planning and how it can make life for your family easier and how it can help your family. We talk about um, the process with my office. We even go over my fees. So this is a really good starting point. Um, if people aren't make it to aren't able to make it to a free talk, um, they're welcome to come into my office. And what we'll do is we'll go through their specific situation. We'll review all of their assets, their family situation, the people that they would think of naming in their plan, and we'll do a really uh, sort of a comparison of what would happen to all of this if you were to pass away tomorrow, and then we compare that to well, what would you want to happen. And there are almost always differences between the two. Um, people don't necessarily realize that their entire estate would have to go through probate, which can be very expensive, and there are ways to avoid probate. And if that's important to you, we can draft a plan so you can avoid probate. And the privacy aspect as well. And the privacy aspect. Probate is uh, a public process, and if, you're, if your will goes through probate, it will be a public document. A nosy neighbor can look in. Exactly. Uh, probate is also very t- time consuming. It takes 12 to 18 months usually in New York. There's just no way to make it go faster. So um, so we'll look at all of the things that, that would happen if you were to pass away tomorrow. If you haven't named guardians for your children, how would it play out? That kind of thing. If you have an estate tax issue, you know how much of your estate would be lost uh, to estate taxes? And then I just listen to the client, and I would listen to you and your concerns and your fears, and maybe you're very concerned about spending a lot on probate or the publicity of it, or you're concerned about estate taxes, or you're really concerned about having the right guardians for your kids. And then after listening to you, I'll give my recommendations about what I think um, would make sense for you to do moving forward. And, and if these people came to you through someone like me, this could be a process that the three of us could could work on together. Yes, we would definitely want to work on that together. So, Laura, um, if somebody wants to uh, wants to come to one of these presentations, if somebody wants to explore 
your uh, your offering? What's the uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? How uh, do you have some resources online? What's the uh, what's the process? I do. So on my website, which I believe is copied at the bottom of the podcast, I'll put that on the show notes, right? Right. So I have an events page, and if you click on the events page. Uh, there are always at least two or three upcoming talks that you can register for. Um, like I said, these are free talks. They take about an hour. You're welcome to bring your spouse. And you'll leave with all of the information that you need to move forward, including my pricing. And I'd like to just add quickly that all of, uh, all of our prices are fixed fee. In my law firm, many lawyers charge by the hour, which is very stressful because you end up having no idea exactly what your investment is going to be. Um, I decided to do away with that immediately upon starting my law firm. All of my fees are fixed. You'll know exactly what the fee is before you make a decision and you'll know exactly what you're getting for that fee and there'll be no surprises. So if there's a phone call, you have a question, you have an email, you're not going to get billed in six minute increments which I think is really important because it's really important for my clients to want to communicate with me. I can serve them better if, they're, if they tell me everything that they're thinking about and they're concerned about. So I really want to encourage communication. So it's a flat fee, you know, exactly what you're paying. We'll go over that at the end of the free talk. We'll also go over the process, um, how many meetings you'll have to come in for, which is three. Um, it's, a very, um, it's a very simple process made to be as, as easy for you as possible. And um, we'll review all of those things in the talk and you'll leave knowing exactly what, what you can do to move forward. Laura, thank you so much for all that. There's a lot of valuable information in there for people. Um, as we mentioned, I'll put some uh, links to resources on the show notes for this podcast. In the meantime, Laura, thanks a lot. Thank you. And uh, thanks for listening, and I'll be back soon. Take care.